Gather round, take a seat, relax. It's the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson, right here on 101.9 High FM. Hi FM, my name is Rabbi Levi Afton and it is a pleasure to be able to be here with you on this Tuesday, the 23rd of January, the 13th of Shvat, just before Tu B'Shvat, etc. So I want to tell you a story. This is the year 1948. Rabbi Aloy was a big rabbi in the Johannesburg Jewish community and a great leader in the South African you know, community. He happens to be in New York um, because his half-sister was, had a heart attack. And he's visiting New York. And at that stage, in 1948, there was elections in South Africa and the nationalists won the elections. And everyone thought that this would be disastrous for the Jews, and they anticipated another Holocaust. This is 1948. So Rabbi Aloy is then visiting Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak of Lubavitch. This is the, the famous Lubavitch Rebbe's father-in-law, who passed away two years later in 1950. And... Rabbi Aloy asks the Rebbe whether he should perhaps bring his family to America. I believe I saw somewhere that his community, that he was a shulin, where he was a rabbi in at the time, even offered to pay to send the family out. Just get your family out. South Africa has no future. And with a big smile on the previous Rebbe's face, he told Rabbi Aloy, go back home. Now, why that story was enlightening for me is the, the, the further back I dig, the, the further back I find that the South African Jewish community, pretty much since it arrived here, was always living with a deep state of anxiety. Often people say it started in the 60s with the riots, or the 50s, with the court cases, or the 80s, what's going to happen? But as this story showed me, and others, you know, anecdotal stories I've heard over the years is, it pretty much comes to the beginning of our the, the, the people living here. I'm sure I'll be able to find stories of even earlier, in the 30s and 20s. And for... That's a mind-boggling idea. Why? Because it's very unusual. Yes, as Jews, we've lived all over the world, and we've always been a bit cautious. But as someone who grew up in the United States, and as someone who spent a year in Europe, and spent a while in Israel, but Israel I'll keep in a category of its own, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen... such a discontent. Now, if South Africa had been very bad to us over the years, that could be justified. But I believe by multiple metrics, 
I could strongly argue the case that South African South Africa, the the environment, the people, and at various stages, even the governments, have been very good to us. Obviously, now in a specific scenario that we're dealing with now, it has not been great to us, and many in the community are feeling betrayed. But I'll get there eventually as we uh, continue for bringing on the show. But I, I want to set the scene first, and the scene is. Unlike the Jews who arrived in America not too long before they arrived in South Africa, give you some history, many German Jews from Western Europe arrived in the 1840s and 50s, um, but that was a relatively small group. The major migration that takes place to the United States happens from the 1880s till World War I, plus minus, that's 30, 40 years. Um, the end of the twenty, the end of the nineteenth century and the beginning of the twentieth century, and South African Jewry, they start really building themselves up. Relatively similar times, obviously not the same mass, but late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, and pretty much the majority of the South African Jewish community could trace themselves back to individuals who emigrated here either the late eighteen hundreds or early nineteen hundreds. So it's plus minus a parallel time on the most part. Now, in both scenarios, there were multiple challenges. Um, just before I was on air, I was reading an article on Times of Israel about a new documentary that came out that's called Nazi Town USA um, that describes uh, multiple fascist movements taking place in the United States in the 1930s, plus minus with 100,000 members, etc. The point is, in both places, it was challenges. But somehow, and I haven't managed to dig um, and really understand it yet, I would, I would love to be enlightened, on it, the South African experience, although in many ways a more pleasant experience than what Jews survived in America, went through in America, in, in some ways similar, and obviously in some ways different, and I'm sure in some ways harder, the angst that the Jew had when they moved to South Africa was unique. And it goes back pretty much to the beginning. And I remember, I'm not going to quote him publicly, in other words, say the name, not because I'm just not sure he wants me to quote him, but it's a very influential uh, Jew in the, in the leadership here in South Africa, in the community, who one time told me, he says, every 18 months, there's another crisis that arises that tells everybody this is the reason we have to leave. It's almost like now, finally. Growing up in America, other than believing that Mashiach will come one day and take us on to, over to Israel, on the most part, I don't recall ever hearing that the American Jew, Jewish experience is ever going to come to an end, and definitely not in our lifetime. Yeah, who knows what will happen in 100 years, 200 years, but fundamentally, the Jew in America felt pretty safe. The Jew in Europe, if he, if he studied any history, would, oh, oh, would, yes, would feel a bit cautious because our European experience has been rough, uh, pretty much the worst place on history for a Jew um, based on history would be Europe, um, Western Europe and Eastern Europe. They're both equally... Uh, guilty in, in historical context of unimaginable Jewish blood. That continent is literally seeped with Jewish blood. 
Um, what about South Africa? What is it about this place that has always given us anxiety? Now, obviously, I'm talking this in the context of what's happened the last few months, recent uh, opinion pieces being published, a conversation around the community, and some people feeling, okay, this is the final death blow. This is it. This, we've, we thought we could pull it through, but we can't. And obviously every person's you know, worry has to be taken seriously and every perspective has to be given the time of day to be heard. At the same time, for, forgive me for being a bit cautious when having lived here only 14 years, I've pretty much lived that 18 month cycle where every single few months there's another perfect reason why our South African experience is coming to an end. I've had people look at me in the white of my eye and tell me with absolute certainty, three years, Rabbi, is all this community has left. And they tell it to me because, you know, they've lived there longer than me. So they obviously have some moral legitimacy um, and some historical context. I've heard this when I moved to the country. The first question I received 13 years ago is, why would anyone move here? And I'm like, why not? What do you mean? You're coming from New York? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, so what? Why not? What's so wrong? You know, if, if I moved to another country, I, I would really struggle with that, like imagining that someone would ask me that same question. Rabbi, why are you here? What do you mean? I want to move here. But over here, there's like this assumption you only move here because you have to. Really? I find myself quite blessed in this community. And yes, I'm not going to um, ignore the challenges. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 High FM. This is 101.9 High FM. You were just listening to Little Kite. Right? This kid's going out and playing with his kite, and he turns to his kite and says, Can you tell me if God's up there in heaven? And then someone stops him and says, Little kid, tell me, do you really think there's a kite up there? Rubbish. You can't see the kite. It's not there. And at that moment, the kid has an epiphany and says, little kite, tell me why I've been so blind. Using my eyes instead of my mind. For though I can see you, I do understand. You're tugging and pulling the string in my hand. Obviously talking to his kite, but more importantly, talking to God. As a believing person, I try to. Obviously, I have my moments. I try to make my big decisions and my small decisions, but for a moment, let's focus on the big decisions based on a moral question. And when it comes to who to marry, where to live, what job to take, my feelings play a part, but they're not the, the most important part. They're a factor. They're not the factor. The factor is what's right. I know most people don't think of marriage that way, but it's true, right? If you marry someone just for emotions, just for love, you'll be very surprised how soon that will unravel. But if you marry because you believe in marriage and you believe in the values you share with the other individual, and obviously you have an attraction to them, but what's bringing you together is not just the flimsy attraction, 
but a hardcore commitment to similar values, you have a much bigger chance of not only surviving, but thriving in that relationship, as with a job, as with where you live. So when a person chooses where to live, the first question you have to ask themselves is, where does God want me to live? It's a very different question than where my kids will have a future, which is honestly, in my opinion, one of the stupidest questions, uh, um, reflections a person can have because no one has a clue where the kid will have a future, right? If I asked you 20 years ago to describe the world the way it would be in 2024, you would have been wrong as I would on every single factor. Even five years ago, we could never ever imagine what the world would look like in January 2024. What we thought were the biggest issues, some are still here, some are not here, but a whole different set of issues. The stuff we feared often didn't materialize. The stuff we didn't expect didn't materialize. So when a person makes a decision of where to live, it's not only a personal decision. I believe it's a moral question. Even in the Jewish law, it talks about um, honoring a father and mother. And obviously, there's multiple times that we should listen to our parents. But there are a few examples that Talmud gives, and it's brought into Jewish law, into the Shulchan Aruch, that you don't have to listen to your parents. And fundamentally, it is where you study, where you live, and who you marry. You can take their opinions into fact, into a factor, as a factor, but they don't have to determine for you. If your mother or father says, don't marry that person, and you know deep down that this is the person for you, you're not breaking the laws of honoring father or mother by marrying that person. The point is that there are certain questions that are of, of a moral stance, and there's a moral way of approaching them. So when a person asks where I want to live, it's not simply a question of where my heart tells me the future is. I believe it strongly as a believing person. It's a moral question. And the first question is, where am I now? And why am I here? Many people who live here in South Africa, wherever they live, think it's just by happenstance. Just happened that way. My grandparents moved here. I married somebody. That's my circumstance. I married a South African. I ended up here, opportunity, etc. But a believing person believes, may Hashem mitzadegever kainanu, that God, that God guides the steps of man, that we are all where we are supposed to be. And yes, some of us have to move on and evolve from that. But the first determiner of where God wants me, on the majority of cases, is exactly where I am. Obviously, if I'm young, if I'm 18, 19, and I'm still developing myself, it's a different stage. But now, your family, you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, wherever you're at. Obviously, there's sometimes that God wants us to move on. But when the question is not just what my feelings say, the question is what, what does morality say? What does God want from me? And I mean moral, not necessarily in right and wrong in a simple way, but like where am I placed? Where's my purpose in life? What does God want of me? It's a very different question because I might want something, but God might want something else. For example, if let's say I'm a leader in a community, I'm a contributing member in the community, I am a huge player in a family, I add a lot of value to a family, and my leaving is going to break or to put tremendous strain on a community 
or on a family, I have to have an honest question with myself and say, is that right? Do I come first? See, there's two kinds of societies in the world. There's a society that puts the individual above else, and there's a society that puts the individual as totally not important to the masses. In other words, it's, it's what's important for the collective. Judaism sees it as a hybrid. In general, Judaism will often find itself in the middle, but that's a, a share on its own, a topic on its own. But it's often in the center. And the idea is we are individuals, but we're also part of the collective. And therefore, when I make a decision, I can not only factor in what I want. I have to factor in the consequences on others. And that is a legitimate factor. And therefore, whenever these conversations arise about the future of Jews in South Africa, I have a major issue with it. Because before we come and, and share like our opinion, we really have to ask ourselves, what's the consequences? Who's it going to affect? The people who can emigrate will, if they want to. For the many who can't, for the many of people who are, who are settled over here and want to build a future here, is unsettling them doing any future? I mean, for God's sake, we've been nonstop each few months. Another reason, another perfect reason why to leave. So number one, to unsettle people without knowing with 100% certainty or close to 100% certainty that that's the right call is problematic. God placed us here for a reason. And I believe that the, the, the Jewish purpose in South Africa, our community, and not just Jews, people, people of all goods, you know, um, of goodness, people who want to do goodness, they have a role to play. And this idea that South Africa will eventually cave in and go to the thugs and totally disintegrate into absolute anarchy is... It's problematic. I mean, like, I, I'm, I, I, there's a lot of other words that are coming to my mind, but I'm trying to keep it, you know, soft. Like, how do you know that? Has God showed up to you? Like, I, I was just giving a, a lesson earlier this morning on Jeremiah, Yirmiyahu, the prophet, chapter 15. But, like, each, each few days I try to do another chapter. Like, are you, are you Jeremiah? I mean, Jeremiah was told by God what to say. Yirmiyahu was given a, 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 a message. No one listened to him. Is that what people really need to hear? What do you want? In other words, what's the goal? Like, who said South Africa will ever come to an end? Obviously, when Mashiach comes, we'll all go where we belong. But whoever, like, is there is, is there some stone that has been unveiled that I haven't been um, privy to that the South African Jewish experience will come to an end at some stage? Please enlighten me. I've never seen it. I don't recall ever getting a prophecy from God, and I don't recall meeting any prophets who've actually had that experience. So first of all, that whole assumption, that assumption that, as I sh shared earlier in the program, has been a part and parcel of the community, at least some parts of the community, for decades. I found you know, records for 75 years already, but I'm sure it's even older is, is, is there some like intuition that like that when we got on the boat from Lithuania and we traveled to South Africa, we were told 100 years and that's it, 120 years and that's it, and then you're off? How do you know that? So then what, what does the person then say? But, but Germany. That's one argument I find too cheap. Germany in 1930s. No, this is not Germany in 1930s. We are not remotely by any definition, 
in Germany's 93s. We are not living in a dictatorship. We're not living through the putsch. We're not living through Adolf Hitler. We do have a state of Israel. We have multiple countries that would take us in a, in a heartbeat if everything went terrible. So, like, yes, learning history is important. I always say in my shul that second to Judaism, I believe the most important subject a person should study is not necessarily mathematics or English, which are all important, but history. So history is important, but it's what's also important is not misaligning historical narratives. It's too simplistic dangerously simplistic to compare South Africa 2024 to Germany in 1934 because it's, it's based on nothing. It's based on fear. And yes, we've had negative experiences in our history, but that does not mean that we have to then start creating associations. And if we are creating associations, do so responsibly because gosh, this community has enough anxiety Nobody's felt good about what the South African government's done recently. Nobody in our community has sit there saying, wow, great. The Hague, nobody's felt great about the cricket story. No one's in denying of that. But the interpretation of that and the association of that, forgive me, it's, it's very problematic. Unless someone knows with certainty or is based on real facts, not just sentiment, and can justifiably face themselves and face God and say that our experiment here is over. Unless they can do that, I would beg them to reconsider sharing and bringing more fear. Because that's my second point. The South African Jewish community and the South African community at large, in many ways, is the most beautiful community on earth. I really believe that. I can't prove it, but many people who've visited and many people who are part of the community from the, who maybe lived elsewhere for a certain stage can, will concur with that. So if, let's say, let's play this out. If the South African Jewish community did come to an end and everyone moved elsewhere, what would be lost? And who's willing to carry that loss on their shoulders? Every community, when they disintegrate, is a loss. Every community in Europe, every community um, in Northern Africa that, that was after the establishment of the state, many of these communities that were there for ages, Iraq, a large part of Iran, even though Iran still has a bit, Iraq, Libya, Lebanon, Syria, Egypt, etc. Each one of them is a, a tragedy when they fell apart, and unfortunately, many of them wasn't their choice. But unless God forces you out or you have a hundred percent, you have very clear evidence that it's time to go. Do not disintegrate a community that has so many pluses that has so many things that will never be replicated anywhere else on earth. If heaven forbid the South African Jewish experience had to come to an end, it would be a loss of historical proportions for the entire Jewish world because this community has produced and continues to produce an incredible community unlike anything else on earth. So yes, is there tensions? Is there stresses? Oh my gosh, there is. Daily. But does that justify disintegrating it? 
without thinking of the costs of, first of all, what's going to happen when they go elsewhere, as if everywhere else is paradise. But more importantly, what the cost of collapsing this community is. Are we willing to live with that consequence? I cannot. I wrote an op-ed last week, just to my community, not really an op-ed, just an article. And that was really my point. I cannot sit there one day facing Hashem, facing God, and having played any part in expediting, in making, um, in ushering the collapse of the Jewish community, because I believe that that would be a tragedy. It would be a great tragedy of Jewish history. And we cannot, yes, we have to fight back and we have to stand up to the government and we have to, uh, you know, negotiate and work at whatever we can to get the, to, to, to move the, the country, specifically the government, to a, a, a more moral stance. But while we do so, not from a place of despair and a place of fear, because I believe that the South African Jewish experience has many, many years ahead of it and that our best days are still ahead of us. What they will look like, I don't know. But I will have no part in its demise. This is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 Chai FM. This is 101.9 Chai FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Avtson, and we're coming towards the end of the show. And the reason I just played that quite actually lengthy song, I think it's a six or seven minute song, Neshamala story about a soul that turns to God and or to the angel and says, uh, please don't send me down into this world. It's scary. And the angel shows the soul all the beautiful things it could become. And then the soul says, yeah, that looks exciting. I'll go down. Can you promise me I'll be one of the good guys? And the soul doesn't answer. The angel doesn't answer. Obviously, you have free choice. Then the song finishes off once the person's life is coming to an end and the angel comes back to collect the soul. And this time the soul doesn't want to leave because it's good over here. And the angel says, don't worry, you finished your part. You're good. You've earned a place right by the throne. And it was more of the first part of the song that like really was resonating with me when planning the show. I said, yeah, we're all here on a mission. We forget that. We tend to forget that when we're here. We think like it's some game of chess where I have to set myself up for the, more, the most success and where's the perfect place and I have to sit there playing game theory all day and trying to um, place myself, position myself for the best place of success as if success is a good life. No, success is a nice plus. The most important thing that we're living here for is a meaningful life, an impactful life, a life where I play the purpose that God sent me into this world for where I focus on the people close to me, when I nurture the people around me, where I stop for a moment of trying to influence the whole world with my wonderful ideas on TikTok and actually invest in the person sitting right next to me. And where I, when looking worldwide, I also look inward locally and build what I have. And yes, we're living through stressful times. For all of humanity, but specifically for the Jewish people, it's a very stressful time. But stressful times is not necessarily a bad thing. I was talking to a friend who's a rabbi in the Midwest in America, and a few days ago, and he shared something that really like was a mind-shifting idea in my mind. He said, you know, in South Africa, you guys are always living with anxiety and stress. He says, who says that's a bad thing? 
says, my community are so placid and so bored and so uninspired then the way I wish they got some angst. I wish they had some of that anxiety. I didn't wish it upon him, but, but that resonated with me, this idea that we're so scared of stressful times. We're so scared of fear, and we're so scared of unknown. But that's when the most fulfilling and meaningful times of our lives can become. And that doesn't mean I pray for those times. Obviously, I pray for peace. So, shalom shalom I pray for peace every single day. But let's not dread the stressful time. Let's not dread the challenges that living in South Africa come with. Because other than Israel, where please God, we'll all go with the coming of Mashiach. If you had to choose a place in the diaspora for me to wait, I'm glad right here. And I hope you could stay with me. This is 101.9 Chai FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Aftson, praying for better times and signing off with another magnificent song by the one and only A.B. Rothenberg, Ride the Train. You'll hear the song. You'll understand why I wanted to finish the show with that song. Have a great day.